You guys are probably just as surprised to see me as I am surprised to be here. Um, I got a phone call from Pastor Mark yesterday morning uh, telling me that he's sick this weekend. So he called me because I'd already prepared a sermon to preach over at Central Abbotsford, um, and he asked me to come in and pinch hit for him. So it's great to be here. Um, I do need to say uh, a special hello to all of you at our other campuses, Mission, East Abbotsford, Real Life, and a special hello to you at Central Abbotsford. You guys haven't seen me uh, in a number of weeks. And for those of you here who don't know, I was just in Wales for a couple of weeks uh, attending some lectures because I'm back in school, uh, which is really fun. I'm one of those weirds. I like it. Um, So anyway, for you over in Central, I miss you. I wish I could be with you tonight. I'm hoping maybe, just maybe, I can sneak over after and come visit. Anyway, no promises. Um, Listen, you're going to need your Bibles, so why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're we're closing out our entire series in the book of Philippians. Mark is giving me a big job. Um, But while you're turning there, I want to do something with you. This has been something that has been a a bit of a burden on my heart for a number of months, and I was going to do this with Central Abbotsford, but I'll do it with you because I'm here. And I do want to encourage you at our other campuses, would you do do this with us? Um, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to push past every Mennonite gene in your body, and I actually want you to raise your hand, okay? Ooh, I know, your palms are sweaty. It's okay. Um, Here's my question. How many of you here and at our campuses, how many of you have ever in your life gone through a dry season with the Lord and yet come out the other side? You don't even know how. You don't know really why, but somehow you were in a dry season. You just felt like you were mailing it in sometimes, but somehow you came out of it. For how many of us is that true? We've been there and somehow came out. Okay, keep those hands up for a second. Keep them up, keep them up. I know this is hard. Look, look around the room for a second. And our, look around. And I just want you to realize that you're not alone if you're there right now. You can put your hands down. So I think one of the greatest lies that the devil has convinced us of, and that's his job, he's a deceiver. I think one of the greatest lies that he, he will whisper in our ears is that when you show up and sometimes you just feel like your love for the Lord is wavering and it's quiet and it's dry and you think that you're the only one in the room who feels that way. You're not. Did you just see how many hands were up, right? You're not alone in those moments of feeling dry. This is a really normal thing. It's a really normal thing to feel that as a Christian. And sometimes when you're feeling that, and you might be here right now, sometimes when you feel that, you show up to church and you think, what am I even doing here? Am I just, am I just a hypocrite? <laughs> because I'm singing all these great praises to Jesus, but in my heart, I don't, I don't feel it. Well, let me, let me say this to you. Uh, if that's what you're feeling, and if you ever get there again one day and you feel this again, this is the best place for you to be. Uh, And the reason for that is, is the way that you come out of that dryness. Actually, if you remember, when you did come out of that dryness, was it because you worked so hard? You really tried. You worked as hard as you possibly could. And then somehow you just, all of a sudden, it's there? Or did it just happen? And I think for most of us, if not all of us, it's the latter. Um, So like I said, I was in Wales. And in order to get to Wales, it's about a 10-hour flight there and a 10-hour flight back. It's 20 hours of my life. I'll never get back. Uh, And you always get on a flight with these really high hopes, right? You're like, I bring a book. I'm going to get through that book easy. I got 10 hours. And then you get two pages in and you're like, this isn't happening. If you're one of those people who can read a whole book while you fly, I envy you because I just can't. And so what do you do? You have 20 hours. Well, you watch every movie known to man. Um, And so when I'm on my way back and I have about 30 minutes left in my flight and I've watched every movie that I care to watch. 
And I just think, I got 30 minutes. I don't want to start something I'm really interested in, whatever. I, I just, but I need something, because otherwise I'm just going to sit here for 30 minutes. And I put on essentially the airplane equivalent of planet Earth. And David Attenborough doing his best to put me to sleep. It didn't work. Uh, but this particular episode was about the forest floor and how in, in the forest you have all these massive trees and their, their, their leaves cover over the sunlight so that at the very bottom, it's, like, it's as if there's lifelessness. There, there's life, but it's cold and it's quiet. And the only way that life comes back to those plants is if a tree falls and suddenly the sunlight breaks in. And all of a sudden, they have their high-speed cameras on, right? And all of a sudden, you see this, the, the vines start going crazy. They try to reach up into the sunlight, and the leaves grow. That's what you and I need. We need the sun, the radiant glory of God, to break into our hearts and into our minds, to remind us that our Christian life was never about us just doing the right things, but that it's about this glorious God who's gracious and good and kind and all these magnificent things. He's my God who says, I love you. And his glory shines into our hearts and brings life again. And so when we come to the word of God every weekend, that's our aim. That's my aim tonight. As we look at Philippians 4, my aim is not simply to give you some, some tips and tricks for how to live a good Christian life. My aim is for us to look at the word of God and see the glory of God and be reminded, yes, that's my God. That's what he's like. And man, I want to respond to him. Okay? So that's my prayer. That's my hope for us. In fact, because that's something I actually have no ability to do, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, um, I'm sure there are many of us here tonight who are feeling dry and feeling like they just, they're not in the place they used to be with you. God, I just pray that as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit would bring it to life and that we would see your glory, your radiant goodness, and it would shine into our hearts to warm us so that we would love you and adore you. So remind us of your character. Show us what you're like. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, that's my aim, but now we're looking at Philippians chapter four, okay? I have two points to make for you, and they kind of run into one sentence. Uh, my two points are this. You have everything you need, so you can give what you've got. You have everything you need, so you can give what you've got. Yes, this is a, this is a text about money. Of course, Mark is sick when it's a text about money, <laughs> and he leaves me here, but this will be fun. Okay, so Philippians four, starting at verse 10. We'll start with the, with the first of these. You have everything you need. Paul writing to the church. I rejoiced. Uh, ooh, I got to set this up. I'm in trouble. Where is it? There we go. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. I, I was so happy that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What's he, what's he talking about? Paul, this is actually the first time in the letter that Paul tells us why he wrote it. And it's because the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus with a gift. And it was pretty much a bag full of money. And he sent it to, they sent it to Paul because he's in prison and they want to help. And so he says, listen, I was so glad. I was so happy that now you revived your concern for me. And this word revive doesn't mean that it was, it was dead. You didn't care about me. And then all of a sudden you thought, you know what? Maybe we should care. And no, it, it actually is more, it's, a, it's botanical language. It's about plants, speaking of plants. Um, that your, your concern for me blossomed again. It bloomed once again. I was glad to see that. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. 
So lest they think, you know, Paul, Paul thinks pretty poorly of them. No, no, he gets it. You didn't have an opportunity to, to send me a gift to help me out, but all of a sudden when you did, you gave. I'm thankful for it. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Okay, what you're going to see as we go through this passage is Paul is really careful with his words. He's really, because he starts by saying, man, I was so glad that this bag of money showed up on my door. But I need to clarify, not that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I really needed the money. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's an important word. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. I know how to have nothing and I know how to have a lot. And in both situations, in whatever situation, between these options, low and abounding, between everything in between, I, I have learned what it is to be content. Now, on the one hand, we, we think, well, that's, that, totally, it sounds really cool. I like that, particularly for when I'm low, when I don't have what I need. But is this something I need to learn when I'm abounding? Do I need to learn contentment when I have everything that I want and need? I, evidently, you do. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You'll know this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Who's the him? Christ. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can have everything that I need and I can have nothing. And yet I know that I'll be okay because I have Christ. So Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He's saying, listen, thanks for the gift. I appreciate it. But, but not that I needed the money because I, if I have Christ, I don't need the money. Essentially, what's he saying? He's saying, I have everything I could need. Even if I don't have the money, I have everything I need. Now, I think you and I uh, will probably think that, and, and, and it sounds great and spiritual, and as a Christian, I, I would like that. But naturally, I think two, one of two things will happen in our minds when we're looking at a text like this and we're thinking about this. The first one is, is this. Um, we just don't believe it. And not that I'm, I'm saying, you're looking at this text and saying, I don't believe that. I just don't believe, no. But that you, in the way that you live and think and act and pray, functionally, you don't believe it. Um, I'm gonna take you back to high school for a second, okay? Speaking of sweaty palms, here we go. It's okay. Um, how many of you recognize this? Anybody? Wow, it was my high school so different than yours? Okay, a few hands. Um, this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay, so this guy Maslow sits down and he's like, what does a human being need in order to live a perfectly flourishing life, right? So at the very bottom, you need your physiological needs, right? You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need sleep. If you don't have those, you're gonna die. But then if you wanna live an even better life, you need safety, you need security and employment and resources. And, and even better, you need love and belonging. You need a, real, a meaningful relationship. You need, you need respect and status and strength, you need, you need confidence in yourself. And most of all, you need to desire to become the most that you can possibly be, the self-actualization. Here, here's my question for you. Naturally, where do you and I, as Christian people even, put God and Christ in this pyramid? I gotta be honest, I think most of us put him right here. I, I, need, I need food, I need water, I need money. So I gotta go out and get those things. I need a job, I need resource, I need health. I, need, I, I, I have to start with those and then, then I can start worrying about God. 
then I can start thinking about Jesus and worshiping him and going to church and being at Bible study. But before I get these things, I just can't be bothered yet. Here's one of the, I think one of the greatest problems that we have today as Christians is that Christ, God himself, is an addition to our lives and not the foundation of our lives. He's an addition to our lives, not the foundation of our lives. Where would Paul put Christ on this pyramid? Well, to be honest, I think this would be the easiest place to say he sits. Before I even need money, before I need sleep and clothing, before I need anything basic, I need Christ. Because at the end of the day, we know this is just reality. There will come a day when all of a sudden, no matter how much of this we have, we're going to pass away. And what do you need at that last moment? A, a, a nice thick bank account? Or Christ? But here's what's interesting. Paul's not simply saying that, man, I, I don't have the money, but I'm okay with Christ. He's saying that having Christ means I have everything I need. I have everything I need. So it's not only that Christ should be down here, it's that Christ is everything. Because, just watch this for a second. Who provides for you your physiological needs, your food, your water, your clothing? Christ. At the end of the day, yes, you have a job. I'm not, I'm not, not talking down on you. You worked for it. Who gave you the work? Who gave you the body? Who gave you the, right? In the end, Christ, Christ gave you. Who keeps you safe? Who gives you a real, actual security in your life? Christ. With whom do you have the most meaningful, faithful relationship that is ever to exist? Pe people are jerks sometimes. You know this, right? You, even the person you trust the most will let you down sometime, except Christ. If you have him, you have all the love and belonging you need. If you have Christ, you have all of the self-respect and self-esteem because not only are you looking around for the world to affirm you, you have a God who says, I delight in you. You're mine and I love you. And who, of all people, is best to show us the most that we could possibly be? Christ. Paul's saying, I, because I have Christ, I have everything I need. Which, to be, if we're just looking at this for a second, uh, means that if Christ satisfies all of these needs, every, everything else in your life where you go looking for them has to have a different reason, a different purpose for it than simply getting these things because you have them already, right? So if I were to use love and belonging, for instance, uh, in your marriage, for those of you who are married, or in your friendships, or with your parents, the reason that you commit yourself to this meaningful relationship is not because you lack relationship. You have relationship. You're satisfied in Christ. That's the ideal. So then why do you have any friendships at all? Why are you married? Why, why would you honor your parents? There must be a different reason for these things than simply, well, to get love and, and care. Because you have it. That's a lot to think about, and I don't have time to point it out. But what I want you to realize is that the natural conclusion that you and I make because of the way we live and we pray and we think is not to put Christ where he belongs. We tag him in wherever he might fit. And Paul's saying, if I did that, man, I'd be hooped. <laughs> I would actually be thankful for the bag of money because I needed it. But he didn't need it. The other thing that happens for us, so that's the first, we just, we just don't believe it. The second thing uh, is that we take our, our assumptions and our presuppositions about what our life should look like and we lay it over the text. 
essentially we, we look and we think, okay, so yeah, so God let Paul be needy sometimes. And that was good because, you know, Paul needed to go out and he, and he needed to be a good example. But God wouldn't want me to be needy. God wouldn't want me to be in need. Right? Isn't he a loving father who would give me everything I would ever want? Honestly, there, you, if you want, there's a church somewhere down the street that will tell you that. That's not what the Bible says. We take our assumptions of what our life is supposed to be and we, we, we say, well, God's gonna help me get there. Uh, it's the difference between viewing your life as a plot-driven story and a character-driven story. Let me give, let me give you an example. Like a a plot-driven movie like Lord of the Rings, right? Frodo gets the ring, takes it to Mordor, at the end of the day, drops it in, right? Not without certain hassles along the way. But he gets there from A to B to C, he ends up and he completes the mission, it's done. That's the plot, moving along, that's the action. 80% of the movies we watch is this, right? The hero, something happens to them, they're sad, they realize I need to pick myself up, they go defeat the bad guy, movie's over. It's all the movies we watch, it's a plot-driven story and we think this of our lives. Let me, let me just point it out to you, particularly here in the West. Because we think our lives are this plot, this story of you grow up, you graduate from high school, you go, to, you go to college, university, you get a good job, you meet somebody, you marry them, you buy a house, you have kids, you grow old, your kids graduate, you retire, golf membership. Right? At least that's, that's my dream. I don't know what you guys... And we, and we look at our lives like th this is the story. This is the story that I'm meant to live. And what happens when we miss a step? When, we've, when we've, we've met somebody, we've gotten married, and now we're trying to buy a house, and then all of a sudden, nobody can buy a house. <laughs> well, what do you do? Now your life is ruined. Man, your life, your life sucks. Because you're not living the story. You've assumed this is the story of my life and now it's not working out. God, why won't you help me? Because we think God is out to help us finish the story we think we're supposed to do. That's the plot-driven story we think, but maybe, just maybe, our lives are a little bit more meant to be a character-driven story. A good movie example, Castaway, right? Uh, literally over 50% of this movie He's not accomplishing anything. He, things are happening to him on this island, right? He's stranded and, all the, and there's just the elements and he's got to knock out a tooth and it's horrific. It's so hard to watch. Anyway, there, all these things are happening to him and at the end of the movie, he's a totally different guy than he was at the beginning of the movie. It's not about this completion of a plot line. Yeah, he escapes and all that. Yeah, yeah. But most of the movie is about him experiencing things and they change him. Maybe... Just maybe God's intention for your life is not that you live the story and you get to the end and you've got the golf membership and the boat and the Okanagan house, but that you get to the end of the story and because of what God let you go through, you look more like Jesus Christ and you shine the glory of his likeness into the darkness. So we take, we take what we assume should be the story of our lives and we lay it over and we say, well, God's gonna fit in and help me get there. Maybe, maybe God's plan is different for you. Because if Paul thought that his life was all about buying the house, going and retiring, man, Paul's life sucked. He's in prison for a lot of it. But maybe it's more than just the story we have in our heads. And because you have Christ, 
you have everything you need. In the moments of your lowest lows, when you feel like, man, nothing is fitting and nothing is working, what, what do you always have? Christ. Always. The one who looks you in the eye to say, I promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so this verse, this last little verse, ooh, it's a good, it's a gooder, right? It's the verse you put on the roof above your bench press, right? I can do it. It's the verse you put on your driver, you know, when you, that's me, I do that. You can do all things through Christ. Not, not all things as in you can dunk, Stephen Curry. But you can do all of this. You can be in any situation, much, plenty, nothing. But because you have Christ, you have enough. You have everything, okay? So you have everything you need if you have Christ. Second point. So you can give what you've got. Let's carry on. Philippians 4, 14. Yet, so again, like notice how careful he's being with his language. You know, not, th not that I needed the money. Yet, it, it was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, he's, he's trying, you know, not that you would think that I'm not appreciating the gift. I really am, right? It was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He's saying, man, when I went out to preach the gospel, no other church started helping me out except you guys. So I'm really, I'm really appreciative. I'm really thankful for this gift that you're sending to me. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not, here's the, here's the language, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I actually wanted the money. I, again, I th I'm thankful for it, but not that I wanted the gift. What I wanted was the fruit that increases to your credit. I'm going to come back to that. That's an important sentence. I've received full payment and more. I have everything I need. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus. This is the guy who carried the money along to, to Paul. Uh, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will surely, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Okay, I'm gonna back this up. Here's what I wanna do is I wanna show you that Paul, in his response, he's saying, I thank you for the gift, not that I needed the gift, but it was good of you to give it, not that I needed the gift. Um, but he still says that your giving was a good thing. Not that I wanted the gift, not that I, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I wanted something for me, but I wanted something for you. So here, here's what I wanna do. I, I wanna point out to you three things from these verses, three reasons for you to give. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, oh, here we go again. I show up to church and they're asking for my money. I'm gonna talk about that. Um, but I, I do wanna point out that the giving I'm talking about here is not just simply you giving to the church. It's you giving. Give, there's somebody down your row who's probably struggling right now. Maybe just maybe God would invite you to give. There's somebody on your neighborhood who doesn't even know Jesus who's struggling because one of their children has gotten sick. They don't know how to pay the bills, whatever. Maybe God's calling you to give. Maybe he's calling you to give to a church plant in Harrison 
and you already have. It's amazing. But three reasons to give. Here's what I, I'm going to give them to you. I don't actually have them as points on a slide, so if you want them, you have to write them down, okay? I'm making you work. Reason number one, giving is good for you, okay? Here's the point that he's making in this verse. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This language right here, the fruit that increases to your credit, is actually financial language in the, in the Greek. It's actually, essentially, like Paul is saying, uh, this is, your giving is an investment that has a guaranteed return. There's a guarantee that it will increase to your credit. So he could mean one of two things from this. He could mean, like Jesus, when he says, store up your treasures, not on earth, but in heaven where they will not be destroyed, right? They'll rust and moss will destroy it and they'll be eaten down here, but in heaven, they'll never be touched. So store your treasure up there. He could be meaning that, that your, your, your investment is for eternity. It's for the days after this life. That's, that's one option. The other option that he could mean is that the credit to your account is that in the very moment that you give, you're actually living the Christian life that you were intended to live and enjoy. And so in that moment, you're receiving, you're receiving the increase to your credit, which is your likeness to Jesus, your likeness to Christ. It just happens because you're giving. Giving is good for you. And how many of us, honestly, You've seen the commercials, right? Lower fees for your investment. Oh, but more information over here for your, right? What's best? All I want at the end of the day is a guarantee. If I could give my money to someone and they say, yeah, 20 days, I'll double it. I'd be like, okay, great. If I believed them, problem is I don't. Who should I believe? When Paul says that you're giving, the gift that you gave me is a guaranteed investment. That, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? He's saying it's worth it for you to give because giving is good for you. It's good for your account, your credit, your likeness to Jesus. That's reason number one, okay? Reason number two, he says it here. Um, I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. What are these gifts? Well, they're a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Reason number two, is that your giving is an act of worship. Now, let me, let me, let me define worship for you. This is, a, this is a running definition that I'm working on in my mind, and I think it's good, but it might change in the years. Worship is an authentic testimony to the glory of God. You do it when you sing, right? We stand up and we sing things about God. You're gracious, you're good, you're kind, you're mighty, you're, you're majestic. We're testifying the truth about God. We're, we're shining out into the world the, the words about Jesus. You also do this in your life, right? Paul in Romans 12, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, meaning that with the life that you live in the way that you act and talk and think, live out an authentic testimony of the glory of God. Shine forth from the way that you live the likeness of Jesus. Be kind and gracious and forgiving and patient and generous because in so doing, you testify to the God who is kind and patient and generous. When you and I are self-giving people, we magnify our self-giving God. When we give away, even out of our poverty, it's interesting, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, of the churches in Macedonia, of which Philippi is one, they gave out of their poverty. They didn't even have much money to be giving. And yet it was a fragrant offering to God because they testified to the God who would give his only son 
And that son would come and take on flesh and die on a cross so you might live. We testify to him by giving. And this is a point that we labor whenever we invite you to give. Honestly, whenever we get up, I feel this tension. I hope every single one of our pastors feels this tension. When every weekend we get up here and we invite you to give. Because I know some of you in the room are thinking, uh, they always want my money. (laughs) The tension we should feel in our hearts is exactly the tension that Paul's feeling. Man, we're so thankful for your gift. Not, Not that we need it. We know that Christ will provide us with everything. Christ will provide for our church, won't he? Is it not his? Yes, so we don't, we don't need your money. But it's good of you to give. Because, because it, it, it's good for you, right? And it's a testimony, it's a worship of God. It's you saying, man, I, God gave me so much, I'll give, I'll give too. And we want to invite you into that. And through those gifts, we get to proclaim the gospel. And we get to have buildings like this and have repairs and, you know, plastic everywhere. <laughs> because you give. Reason number three, so, so giving is good for you. Secondly, giving is an act of worship. And finally, giving isn't losing. Giving isn't losing. Here's how he ends this whole passage. And my God... This is what he's like. You want to know what the God in heaven is like when it comes to giving and money and generosity? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. How rich is the glory in Christ Jesus? That's really rich. That's like chocolate cake rich. That's that's a lot. My God I know him to be like this. This is who he is. He's a giving God. In in Isaiah, the prophet says, God causes the rain to fall on the fields of the righteous and on the fields of the wicked. God's not just generous and gracious to his people. He's generous and gracious to the world. This This is what he's like. This is who he is. And I know, says Paul, that my God will supply every need. Now, you want to run in and define need. Well, God, I need a Lamborghini. No, you don't. You might want a Lamborghini. That would be nice. You don't need one. But God, I need food on my table tonight. Do you think God doesn't know? He will supply your every need. You you may not know it. You may not know how. And at the end of the day, there will come a day for all of us. This is just, you do this, thinking about it. And at the moment when every single one of us dies... Could we not rightfully say, well, I needed something in that moment or I'm gonna need something, right? Whether it's another shot of whatever it is they're giving me in the hospital, whether it's food, whether, what, I need something in that moment, just strengthen my body, won't God give it to me? Well, maybe what you need is to go home to your father. He will supply your every need because this is the kind of God he is. According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus, that's a lot. So give because it's good for you. Give because it's an act of worship and give because as you give, you lose nothing. You might feel it. Your bank account might go down. But have you lost Christ? No. My aim here tonight was to lift up God to you. 
and to shine his glory into our hearts. And what I want you to realize in every text that we come to, and particularly the texts that invite us to act and to live and obey, it's not as though the father we have up in heaven, he's like, I got his arms crossed and he's thinking to himself, hmm, are they gonna do it? Are they gonna live up? Are they gonna obey me? Honestly, I think a lot of us have that view of God. God's not a black hole sucking out of you obedience and giving and all these things and your praises. He's not just up in heaven pulling it all out of you because that's what he wants. No, God is the sun shining the radiance of his goodness and glory and generosity into the world and into your life. That's the God we have. And so every command, every call in the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, isn't simply God setting an arbitrary rule to figure out whether you really love him. It's God inviting you into his very character. When you are a truth-telling person, you're living like the truth-telling God. When you're a faithful person in friendship, in marriage, in your family, you shine forth the likeness of a faithful God. When you're generous, you're being invited into the generosity of God. So shine his generosity in the world by remembering, by recognizing, by believing that he has been generous to you. Over and above. That's the God we have. That's the God we praise and that's the God we enjoy. Let me pray for us. God, we're so thankful for your word and that in it you've, you've made yourself known to us. You're not a mystery up in heaven, us trying to figure out what do you like, what do you not like, what do you want? You've shown yourself to us and what we see is magnificent and I pray, God, that that would be true for us. That as we see you, we would see your glory and your kindness and your grace and your generosity. That you would send your son, not because we've deserved it or earned it or been really good people, but because you loved us. You were generous enough to send your son to die so that we might live. And God, we praise you for it. And God, as we, as we read back the story of the church in Philippi giving to Paul, and as Paul appreciates their giving, God, would you stoke in us a fire, a, a, a warmth, a longing to be generous people because we see you are generous God. And we want people to know you and love you the way we do. So warm our hearts, pick us up, God, and would you help us now to sing with full hearts? And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.